My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels. And I'm Jay Rettelsberger, a singer-songwriter. We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung, art, and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. Okay, welcome, Genevieve, to uh, Gatherings. I've wanted to uh, get some of the people from the Sophia group uh, online, so to speak, to talk to me about the work, because I am really lucky in that so many of the people in our group are so immensely talented across so many different fields, whether it's writing or photography or music. It's really a thrill. And I especially wanted to talk to you today because I think I've seen the little film you made about Andrich maybe eight times already. It's absolutely <laughs> beautiful, not only because it gives us an insight into an artist, but because of an artist making a film like that will give you, you notice everything. You notice the actual view that is the eye that is being placed on there. And although, you know, my, my strength isn't visual, I always really, really appreciate people who can take me into that field and let me see things. But before mm. all of that, uh, this is Genevieve Carroll. She is part of my group. I think you've been part of the group since, it sounds like a cult. I mean, this is just part of the Sophia group that we created. Um, I think you maybe have been for four or five years now. And, you know, it um, feels like four or five years, but I think I joined only in 2022, believe it or not. Did you really? Oh my God. That yes. feels, you it might feels been, like a long time. I think it might've been earlier because I remember you during the pandemic being online yeah. with us. That was 2020 though, right? So you might actually think you were only around 22, but anyway, who knows? You've been, you feel like, it feels to me like you've been around five or yeah. six years and it's been delightful. But you know, one thing that's interesting about this group that we manage of people that we've managed to gather together is that we talk so much about our inner life that I don't, I, I half the time don't know what people's outer mm. lives are about. And mm. so today I want to invite you to maybe speak mm. first about your outer life and then we can merge it all together. So tell me, Tell me about yourself, what you'd sure. like me to know about you. Uh, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. I mean, I'm very honored, first of all, to be part of your group. And I will talk to um, about how much it has changed my life, like very, very deeply. Um, and also thank you for having me today so I can share some of my thoughts and ideas about what I do. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. So I've been a professional photographer for 20 years. Uh, I've worked a lot in advertising and in editorial work. So worked for all sorts of big Canadian companies, but also abroad. I've worked in India and in Europe. I've worked for uh, the Cannes Film Festival, for TIFF. Um, I've done all sorts of things. Um, and recently, I just uh, completed, as you were saying, my first uh, eight-minute short documentary. So that's a whole new body of work for me and a whole new exploration that um, I'm excited to talk to you about. So the movie was about my husband. He's an artist. And we were going to India together. And uh, to me, it was clear that I needed to jump on this uh, opportunity because who knows whenever is going to be the next time we get to go there together. It's a big endeavor going to India, have a, you know, a young daughter. So organizing everything at home so we can both be away, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And also, um, I'm a big fan of his work, obviously, and I really felt like it was my responsibility to try to bring some sort of understanding to what he does. So, you know, in our group, we talk a lot about astrology, and I came to understand that being a Virgo, being of service is very important to me. So I fully embrace this and um, also fully embrace the fact that I don't like to be like 
uh, at the center of attention. That's not <laughs> my <laughs> place of choice. So I was very comfortable doing um, the movie about him. So, you know, he starts with photography. So photography is the medium, but it's not the medium as we think of it. You know, it, he's not trying to um, show a specific place or freeze a certain moment in time. He's really trying to make visible the relationship between color and space and light. So it's 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 a it's it's not easy to explain and it's only when you are in front of the large prints that you can understand fully what he's trying to do so the movie was trying to um to talk about that to bring the viewers in in his shoes so he, they can be part of you know his thinking and and how he sees things and how he gets to do his work so it was really think, yeah sorry go ahead no no i was just wondering how you actually ended up finding your path to photography because you're obviously a brilliant photographer you've mm. um you know i'm going to link the uh, your webpage because some of the photographs are, are quite amazing um and so how did you end up there and not as a writer or as a, what what took you to that particular art form what drew you there Mm, well, you know, I was preparing for this podcast, trying to understand, okay, what is it? And and what is it that I can share that's not boring or banal? You know, nobody yeah. wants another childhood story. But um, <laughs> I grew up in a very uh, artsy family. Now that I think about it, like I always took it for granted, but no, it's not like that for everybody. My parents really um, nurtured a free and contemplative childhood for us, um, meaning we were free to do a lot of art. My mom was an art teacher and, you know, she stopped working when to raise us, which was you know, the, the case in, in for many families back then. Um but nonetheless, she was very encouraging and allowed us to explore and do all sorts of, you know, explorations in terms of, you know, painting, drawing, sculptures, all sorts of stuff like this. Uh, and I remember, like, one anecdote. Growing up, we had to go to church every Sunday, Quebec, Catholic. Mm -hmm. And uh, she allowed me to draw at church mm -hmm. because I was so bored. But she knew that, you know, this was important to me and yeah. she saw my talent. And then she yeah. just allowed me to do that so maybe she allowed me to do it once I don't know but to me it became like this big thing <laughs> yeah of course you know and um you know I remember grade one probably my brother he's drawing trucks and cranes with like immense details and I'm just drawing my friends but if I go back to these drawings it's incredible the amount of details that I would put in those like in grade one little six-year-old like <laughs> all the freckles the dimples like the hair color and texture I'm like okay like it's been with me for a long time <laughs> this fascination of people and just paying attention to people right. that's so interesting yeah. because the idea of paying attention when you whether you're talking about the inner or the outer world I mean as a writer you do the same thing you're paying attention to what everybody else isn't paying attention in the case of a writer I think a lot of subtext and that's actually what I pick up in some of your photographs, subtext, which is not what you pick mm. up in a lot of uh, your eye as such. And I'm thinking of the photographs you took of the older people mm. in France, which I will, you know, link again, which yeah. are just so wonderfully alive. You know, you really get the essence of the person beyond uh, the persona. You just got a sense of something else rising. And I think that takes an ability to bring that out in the person, too. I mean, there must be something about the per I mean, you photograph some pretty big names. 
uh, part of your personality must be what draws people in. I know it through my own group that you do. You're very joyful. There's a an openness about you that makes it very easy to to integrate you in any situation because you know that there's a lot of generosity. So is that part of this? Because I'm thinking that it must be hard to be put in front of. Did you not photograph inventors, for example? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's hard. I mean, you're talking about people that have a, have a public persona. Uh, how do you approach those kind of uh, situations? Well, and this is going to link with the the work that we do, yeah. which is the more I nurture awareness, the more I'm able to do the dance right. with complete um, authenticity. Because okay. my feelings, what I feel during a photo shoot and what the person is feeling, that's all intertwined. And for some reason, like I catch all of this, like I sense all of this. And when I was younger, Earlier in my career, I, it would totally overwhelm me. So if the person was nervous, I would become completely nervous as well. And as I got older and as I got to do more shadow work, um, I realized, okay, I need to rise above this. And I need to come with more compassion, with more kindness to be able to nurture just curiosity in that moment and not add my own projection and not add judgment I mean, right. of course, it happened to me that I was very judging. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, yeah. There was some people at Cannes Film Festival, I remember these young directors, they were just so rude to me. And I had I, I reacted. And of course, in retrospect, I think, oh, I should not have reacted. I mean, it was just what it was. And it's a teaching for the next yeah. time. And I yeah. mean, that's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's all we can do. It's interesting about the shadow work. What happens in a situation where you are clear that they're, and this happens, I think, in many social situations where that person's, because being in front of a camera, I know I'm not comfortable in front of any camera, okay, I will run away from it. Some people are, some people are not. So, and what you're probably dealing with, especially as people age, and I think that's why I really appreciate those pictures you took of people who are aging and celebrating their, where they find themselves at that moment in life. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you encounter that kind of person, the stiff sort of like me? What do you do when you encounter a person like me where in front of a camera, the personality almost collapses because you're aware of being watched in a different way? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, you must mm -hmm. encounter this as yeah, a photographer. Absolutely. I mean, I have all sorts of tricks um, right. depending on who I have in front of me, but uh, you know how I love rituals. So for example, yes. you know, I'll, we'll step away from the camera. Like that's not going to be the, and then we'll get into a ritual, whatever makes you Right. feel comfortable like we can dance for five minutes we can do yeah. you know we can have a drink if that's what helps you relax and find a, a comfortable space it doesn't matter but it's about creating that sense of trust with the person and then allowing that to emerge right. I mean I mean sometimes I remember in the past I've had let's say my daughter when she was younger mm -hmm around the studio when I was shooting a portrait and this very serious lawyer was unable to relax next to the in front of a camera my daughter <laughs> came and stood next to me and she dangled some stuff she had assembled just to make him laugh like she had <laughs> felt all of this and then yes. she came to help like how amazing is that that is amazing she also yeah. shows her personality very much yes. the outward uh yeah, the comfort, because that's not so easy for a lot of uh, younger people to, to inhabit that space. Yeah. So in watching that beautiful film you made of Andrich's work and his approach, like I can see you, I know you're working and you did another one for another Italian artist that yeah. I saw as well, which is lovely as well, which I will also link. Um, you really know how to capture not only their work and them 
in very short space, but also actually somehow with few words, although the words are there, the whole philosophy, you know, can you, do you see yourself as doing this in a bigger, like in, in a more, like more of it, I guess I would say, and crossing mm-hmm. beyond the photographer to other, other types of people, or is this something yeah, just because of your so. own interest? In, yeah, I think so. And I'm going to reveal something here that, yeah. you know, I've spoken to very, just very close people, but for some reason, it, there is a lot of shame associated with photography for me. Like I really judge myself really hard. I compare myself to others and none of that exists with the film work that I've done. Interesting. And I don't know if it's because I came to it as an adult recently. I don't know what it is, but it's such a different feeling and a good feeling because I feel like I can be there um, without any of that baggage. Right. That's interesting. You should bring that you bring that up. I mean, I'm wondering: is the shame? Do you think with the photography side, is that uh, like I often wonder where anybody involved, anyone who is involved in a creative venture, isn't dealing with that because we're pitted against each other in competition in a way. There can only be one great photographer. There can only be one great writer, and Maybe. somehow you you know you lose your sense of self there because you're not putting out the work for the reason that you want to put it out, which is just pure joy, mm-hmm. um, which is what I saw in your films. That it is a pure joy. It's like an exploration, right? Which is maybe where you're allowing yourself to be you. So yeah. I see, I really see you in those films, even though we're not, the subject isn't you, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I see the aesthetic, I see the kind of approach that I see in my group discussions when we're together. I kind of see mm-hmm. that in the film, which is what was so beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you see the subject. There's no question the subject is at the heart of it. But I think the way you approach something is a like good biography. If you're writing a biography, the most important thing in a way is to both get out of the way and not get out of the way, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because it's always going to be distilled. Any subject is going to be distilled through your eyes. And that's why recently there have been a couple of biographies that uh, people have gotten angry at because they feel the biographer was too compassionate or got too involved with the subject. One is the Michael Lewis one on uh, mm-hmm. Sam Bankman Freed. And the other one is the Erickson. Um, Oh, it? Well, I can't remember his name. The Walter Erickson. I can't. The name is the one who did it on Elon Musk. And again, these people got too close to the subject, perhaps, and didn't have the necessary distance. I don't. I'd argue that I'm not sure you could ever have the necessary distance, even if you're doing a biography of a person who's dead, because the reason you're attracted to doing it is because you love something about the work. You're attracted to the work, mm-hmm. and uh, otherwise, you wouldn't want to spend two or three years combing through, you know. Yeah. Is that life. something you ever considered doing a biography um, of someone? You know, not really, but I, but I obviously I read a lot of biographies and I'm very interested in certain people. And and, so, and I, but the problem is my short attention span. I go really deep, really quickly, and then I move <laughs> on. Right, but I'm really interested in in how you know what what struck me about watching your film is how much information manages to be conveyed, and it's not a 400 page book. And that I think is the merging of words and images. You know. Um, one yeah. of the things that I always tell people if they're doing Jung is go look at the actual Red Book, the one that was produced originally that is very large and has his drawings because it's a total experience. It's not just the words. Mm. He is trying to depict through image, which is very powerful, right? Mm. What And what we see in dreams, what, what, what actually the experience felt like. And I think no matter how much we writers try to put that into, into words, there is nothing, and you can do it with poetry, I think, but there's nothing like music or image to really mm. get you there very quickly. <laughs> Just yeah. boom, you're there. Does that does that resonate with you? That yeah, idea? absolutely. Also because I had like this 
trauma when I was a kid with oral presentations. Like I was so bad at it and nobody ever helped me. So I was left on my own to try to figure that out. Um, so I always shied away from words, always. And um, so I think that's why I'm so comfortable with images. And I think that's why the film also was such a revelation for me, because then you have movement, you have sound, you have music, and you can convey so much. Yeah. And you just need a few words here and there. And then, as you said, you get like a whole picture, like you, right. you, you get to understand things that they don't need to be explained at length necessarily. And you know the subject, like you know how much my subject speaks in real life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, it's all very charming. But yes, it's like me, he's full of a lot of words. <laughs> yes. And yet, and it's not my thing. So I, I guess my job was just editing, editing, editing yeah. as I was doing the research part, just, you know, yeah. rereading all his text and his books and trying to see, okay, what is it? Like, what are the main threads that I want to have? it as a form of alchemy <clears throat> because knowing the person in this case a little bit i don't know him t- you know deeply but i know him enough and then seeing the distillation it felt oh, very alchemical that you've taken mm. something and you're able to transform it and that is what art i think at its best does it takes something and is able to transform it and distill it to its essence so you don't get stuck in the story you know there is no story there except what is being conveyed at a deeper level. So yeah. that that's what makes it powerful, frankly. Uh, yeah. And of course, coupled with all the elements that you overlaid. I mean, it's not just one thing, mm-hmm. but it's interesting mm-hmm. that in very few words, you get a sense of his entire, I had no idea, by the way, until I saw that I'd seen in your house, I'd seen some of his uh, work, but it was putting it in the context. And he made a couple, just a couple of sentences. And I thought, oh, Mm-hmm. that's what he's, that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And that is in doing it in such a short, you know, eight minute film is just brilliant because, mm-hmm. you know, if we, and I say this as a writer, we suffer from too many words. There's just way mm-hmm. too many words. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the idea of bringing, distilling that to, to its essence through image and, and just even watching him move mm-hmm. and, and, and the few words, it didn't, it didn't require it. And so it is. So when we talk about going back to a little bit, because we talk obviously a lot in our group about shadow work, what drove you to start looking at that in yourself? Because that happened before you even appeared on my doorstep. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. so so, what was it that drove you to that, to, to do that inner work, to start, begin that journey? Mm. So I guess it began a long time ago, uh, probably in my early 20s, I would say. There were a few books that came in my life that made a big difference. One is by this Obla priest called Jean Montbourquet. He's French speaking, but he was a priest who wanted to be the doctors of the souls. That's what his, you know, uh, wish was. And he went to California and studied uh, psychology and he specialized in uh, mourning. Like, how do we process mourning and what are the things we need to do to be able to um, um, bring that into our life and accept it and then turn it into a gift uh, as it is. So... I think he was the first one where I was uh, put into contact with the shadow work. Mm. And I think I referred to that recently in one of our yes. books, that there was this re- specific exercise in the book where you 
put something in your right hand, put something in your left hand, then you say, okay. And it's two opposite sides of yourself that are constantly at odds. And then you ask, you talk to them and then you ask them, okay, thank you for being there and for helping me all these times, but I don't need you anymore. And then you no. invite the other thing and then you actually put the hands together and then you do this and then you do that before going to sleep and then you allow your subconscious to do that, you know, stuff like this. So I did yeah. that. But like so that's probably like 30 years ago that I started um right. you know being interested and welcoming these things in my life so I don't know if there was one specific event no, no. yeah but sometimes um, you just you're uh, just called to resolve yeah. something almost magically it's funny that I have not read the person you're mentioning but it reminds me very much of a person I often quote which is Richard Rohr who has done the same thing as a Franciscan priest. He's managed oh, to bring really? in the whole, yeah. He's fabulous. I mean, his books are just, to me, they're probably, uh, being raised a Catholic like yourself, there is a tendency to, when you get into the, to the, get older, you sometimes reject the tradition, especially if you come from a more conservative. I was raised partially in Spain and it was a little mm -hmm. bit more oppressive then. Mm -hmm. And so there's ways out, but he brings you back into the tradition without being dogmatic. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I still read the, the Eastern philosophers and whatever, but what I thought was, was great about him is he brings in the issues of shadow work. He brings in um, the Enneagram, for example, he's an expert in that and he and he really talks a lot about something that i take to heart which i think jung and hollis james hollis are very good about which is reminding you that it's you know responsibility is a very important word <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's not and projection what we do with shadow work is we understand where we're laying the blame or mm -hmm. our grievances or whatever on the doorstep of a group or a person and retrieving that is not only good for the other person it's actually good for you too you feel better Absolutely. you feel like oh okay but it's humbling right yeah. <laughs> and every moment you're being humbled and i have to say um having witnessed in our yeah. group this moment where you were um talking at some point with one member of the group and you were disagreeing so much and you voiced these words you said i know it's my complex speaking right now and i mean i've i've been to hundreds of dinners and social you know uh, contexts where people are you know very vocal and and I have never heard anyone say this. So what we do in our group is so special. It's so unique. And I'm just so grateful. And it has had such an impact on me. I mean, I would have never been able to be on this podcast talking to you today. Interesting. And you're <laughs> such a good speaker, ago. by the way. They may oh, have told you differently, God. but you know, you communicate wonderfully and you're communicating like you communicate in two languages. So so the much it's interesting, you know, because early on in the group when we were when we were talking about these issues. Um, there was resistance, I think, to the idea that, you know, well, what, what do you mean? There, there are times when you really, the other person is doing things. And it's like, no, no, like at the end of the day, it is true that people will set you off, but that's not, it's not interesting who they are in that case. It's why you're reacting because there's a moment, there's a decision you can always make. I mean, if you're in danger, that's a different thing or someone's Absolute, being abusive, of course. but this was of not, course. this was a disagreement that we have with other people because we mm -hmm. are stuck in our ways of seeing but I always listen. I don't know if you do this because we probably do this with your child. When the emotion enters the words and I feel my own emotion rise, 
<laughs> I think, yeah. okay, this is not bay anymore. This is the complex speaking. Yeah. And, you know, before I could ignore it, but now I'd be very dishonest if I'm ignoring yeah. it. And the thing is, people think you're doing it. Oh, you don't want to be dishonest or shame to other people. No, I feel dishonest in myself. And I feel like, wait, you're totally failing in yeah. the very thing. Now, I don't look at it with judgment about myself because I'm human, right? And yeah. things are going to set me off. But when you, I find when you take responsibility, A, you're trying to take the damage that you're about to do to the other person. Some people are really brutal with words mm-hmm. and can really injure without even realizing that they're oh, doing yeah. it. So you want to make sure that you protect that. And then secondly, you want to be honest with yourself so you can say, okay, why, why is this so important to me? You know what? And it's and- so much more uh, efficient if you're yes. able to communicate in a way that you're not completely... Uh- Yeah, taken over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and again, we both, we all have to say one of the lovely things about her, we have four or five hour meetings. There are moments of intense emotion, but everybody, Mm -hmm. I have never had over 20 years, anybody leave unhappy and not being able to, to, to repair. In fact, the Mm. opposite, there's afterwards, there is a tendency to send emails saying, Oh, I I should have said that. I say, no, Mm. you should have said that. That is exactly Mm. where you were at that time. And, and recognizing that we have these moments where we feel vulnerable. That's, that's okay. That's part of the process, right? That's what's amazing. When we get together, everyone enters your house and drops the mask and enters with both the light and the shadow. And everyone does that. (laughs) Yes. And yes. so, there, and, and, and then, so there's no room for that kind of um, oversimplification. If yes. You, wish, you know, and you can't hide, right? People don't hide here. I mean, no, people no, always no. say, uh, it's, they say it's very hard to keep a group moving uh, for very long because ours doesn't have a specific, you know, we're not a therapy group. I've never wanted it to be a therapy group. It's, I'm not a therapist. It's really a, a, a an exploration group. And the only way that I've been able to define it when people ask me, it's mm. the place that we allow our inner lives to speak. And so we talk about dreams. We talk about our artistic uh, endeavors. Yes, our outer worlds come in because our dreams are saturated with the people that are out playing roles in our lives and, and vice versa. But Ultimately, it's the space given to there is an inner world. It's it's very big. Nobody ever pays attention to it because we're all busy putting on a mask so that we don't, you know, feel injured. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I was listening to an interview that uh, I think it was Robert Masters was giving. Maybe Robert Masters, I'm having a problem with names today. But, but well, no, maybe it's because the book he called was on the mastery. <laughs> anyway, whatever it was, it, it was one of the wise people explaining how they approach life. And one of the things he was saying, which I thought was so powerful, is that people who feel vulnerable feel threatened. And that it's one thing we haven't taught people, a lot of men especially, I believe, to be vulnerable and open is actually a gift to yourself, not only the other person. Because when you get comfortable with that, and that's what I see in our in our meetings, when you get comfortable with it, it actually feels liberating because you spend so many times shackled. I'm reminded, you know, one of the things we look at are, are myths and fairy tales and and uh, classics. And I'm always reminded of the the princess, uh, the the frog prince, sorry. You know, the moment, the last the last part that everybody always leaves out about the frog prince is that at the end, when the frog prince suddenly becomes a prince and, you know, the, 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 the frog has been flung, there is a weird thing that is appended, which is his, his I think it's Heinrich, his uh, master, his, his butler or his servant. As soon as he recognizes that the prince has been freed, he had bands around his heart and they all break open and he's liberated from that pain around. And I just think that particular part, which is often left out of that fairy tale, is so powerful Mm -hmm. Mm because that's what we do to ourselves. We're basically walking around bounded, Mm -hmm. you know, boundaried by our own fears of appearing weak or ashamed or and and it's and it's I the moments that for me that are most memorable about our group is when people I can see it happening. I can see the bands coming off. 
and somebody says something and we all are in awe. We're just looking at it and thinking that was, they allowed themselves. And it's, it's so humbling because you're right that at dinner parties, I don't see this happening. I don't Never. see that. I don't know because you're playing a role, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, and, and I it, think and you yeah. only need one person who doesn't want yeah. to do this to contaminate, not contaminate, but to, to change the Influence. nature of what yeah. the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it can work the other way too. I don't know if you ever tried this at a dinner party, but you do do the pattern interrupt, and you just you get tired of the small talk, and you say something that just discombobulates the group for a second. And then in that case, it can go either two ways. There could yeah. be you know um, kind of embarrassed laughter, and then everybody resumes, or there can be a moment when somebody says, "Well, you know what? I never thought about that," and yeah. and it opens a whole new avenue of inquiry. Yeah. And a deeper conversation, because I think that's what we're all looking for. We're looking Absolutely. for a deeper conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? especially, you know, I have to say, when I leave the group, and that's been happening to me every single time, um, it's almost as if I have to come back to my body, just myself, yeah. as if for the whole time I'm there at your place, I'm not just with my, like everyone is together in a yeah. way that like we're all inhabiting the same body. I don't know how to explain it, but it yeah. takes me a few hours whenever mm -hmm. I, I leave. Like it's such a heightened experience. Yeah, I feel the same way. It takes me often. I used to uh, plan dinners after and I found it very difficult. I couldn't oh. concentrate because it was too, your body's absorbing everybody else's. Um, and, and because we're not discussing the outer world politics or children, you know, which are all important things in their context. We're actually allowing people into our inner worlds. Yeah, That's a very open moment. You're just completely open to the people and they're open to you. So something weird, again, the word alchemy happens that kind yeah, of yeah, takes yeah. over the entire room yeah. and that doesn't belong to one, but to all, which is, yeah. yeah. And everyone is just so concerned and attentive and thoughtful and considerate. It's a very yeah. special thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need more of it. I think if, if, um, if anything, what I would love to see is that and it can only happen this way. Let me see what you think about this. I think the only way it can happen in groups that are not like what we've set up here, okay, collectively, because it's always a group endeavor. Not one person does not mm -hmm. set it. It has to be an agreement from all of us that, you know, we drop the mask when we come in, as you say. Yep. Do you think, I've thought about this and I'm not sure I, I know the answer, that if we all did this as a practice and we face the world at all times without that mask, without thinking, without thinking, well, whatever I say, you know, it's going to be embarrassing or whatever. So I'll keep it to myself. Do you think that those kind of conversations might be more common? You know, um, I, I thought about this because I just revisited Babette's Feast, you know, that film that was probably yeah. years and years ago. And there's yeah. that moment where they're all leading them through the vehicle of food. All of these, these people are opened up and old loves are confessed and old mm. connections are made through the idea that, you know, these very repressed Danish people suddenly become lit yeah. up. And it's because of the openness. And I just think those moments are so powerful. I think everyone uh, craves for that. And I think yeah. if if you're able to embody that, it makes a difference. It, yeah. it influences yeah. people positively. Like I was just yeah. seeing a, an artist friend yesterday and his energy is so unbounded and he has no filter. So yeah. in his presence, you feel like, 
oh, okay, I can, I can also be like this. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's inviting. As yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. That's what we're looking for, that invitation to allow that part of ourselves out to play. Because mm-hmm. most of the time it is the one that is sitting there, the child that is sitting there bounded. And also, you know, I think if uh, we both have children, that that is what you're also showing children that is allowed and and it's and you're receptive. And, you know, in the Jungian world, we, that is often referred to as the feminine, that quality that allows being to exist without the parameters of, and it belongs to both. You can't, it's not either or, but I find that it is that connection that happens that is so necessary and that mm-hmm. isn't really happening. It can't happen in normal mm-hmm. circumstances. And now, of course, everybody's connecting virtually, which makes the mask even a little bit stronger because mm-hmm. you you feel yourself with the power to say things that are absolutely hateful, which you wouldn't say, you know, mm-hmm. in normal circumstances. So you're seeing this transference and that we have to do something. And I think the only real, uh, this is the whole focus of my work. I, someone said, can you distill it? It's the need for conversation, but not just mm-hmm. conversation uh, in the way of like chit chat, but conversation on a deeper kind of um So who are you reading right now that is taking you to these deeper places? Is there anybody that you're reading? Well, I'm rereading some of the books that you've been mentioning. Okay. So James Hollis, for example, yes, because amazing. it's just so dense. There's just so yeah. much in it. And I mean, <laughs> yes. same thing for your book, Invocation. I mean, oh, thank you. Yeah. Carolina and Alberto's conversations are so full of wisdom. And um, there's something I highlighted here um, when she quotes James Hillman. Or he, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that there's um, three ways of transporting the unseen into the scene, right? Math, music, and myths. Oh, yes. And then, yeah, I mean. It's yeah, a- I totally forgotten about that. It's good when somebody actually <laughs> quotes it back. I go, I wrote that, really? Yeah, but of course I didn't. I'm quoting other people. Yeah, it was funny doing that uh, doing that book because it it, uh, it was the one time that I felt really congruent. I can understand how you felt making your film. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I wasn't massaging every sentence, like in my first two books, which are much more literary, it was mm-hmm. just, I need to put this out for a specific, I, I want to enjoy this, but I also am putting out information. And so it was a way to just release it all in one big go and and uh, and allow it. And it, so I didn't use notes or whatever, it was whatever was coming out. But of course, I'm quoting so much on, on social media all the time, it's probably lying in my head for yeah, easy retrieval. But it was a way to organize what I thought too, you know. I don't know if you can, do you do that with visual mediums? I wonder like, um, with with writing, you often one of the things you say about writing, or you think, or I feel about writing is I write to know what I feel and I think. Is that something that is transferable also when you're looking through a camera lens and seeing? Are you trying to also discover some way of seeing. Well, some way of feeling because yeah. that's what happens. You know, if you take an image, um, if you look back to it, you are able to go back to how you felt in that moment. Right. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like yeah. A yeah. And yet it can be interpreted in so many ways because the person being photographed in, yeah. let's say, in an example, you, you would right. have a very different experience than I would. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'd be hiding um, under the table. If you could find me, that would be your first, <laughs> that'd be your first thing. That's <laughs> the crazy thing about photography. Yeah. No, I'm so sure. Many different meanings. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I think with writing, you're dealing with your own interior life, but photography always involves a subject. Now, it could be an inanimate subject, so then you don't have to deal with that. But once you're dealing with a person, Mm -hmm. then the world becomes much more uh, complicated because that's your dialogue, right? You're no longer in conversation just with yourself. You're bringing something in, an energy, a a force field that you somehow have to address, right? Yeah. And it's harder. It's a lot harder. It's a lot easier just doing it on your own because you're going, okay, I'm just going to go off in my little world. But once you bring in other people, then you have to be so many different things at once. So I really respect. Yeah. What really helps is talking. Like the whole time I take pictures, usually I'm just talking, talking with the person. So they forget that they're being photographed because you don't want to be there in silence. And then all of a sudden the person starts feeling very self-conscious. That's the last thing you want, unless that's the energy you're after. And that's what you want to, you know, capture that that can also be a valid uh, uh, direction. But um so where do you see yourself heading? What what would you like to do? What's what's the next 10 years? Nothing oh you need to plan. God, but but if you if no, so but if I gave I know this is great. You see, this is why I love it. Because you know, you want to talk to people that want to do so many things. Yeah. Is it more of the kind of little biopics that you did with uh, with that? Absolutely. Or, okay, Absolutely. I'm so glad because you also are with AI pushing. I mean, yeah. there's there. You know, with AI, you're able to um, make so many beautiful images. You, did you see in the recent Sony Award? No, no. The 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 big pro- like the main prize was right. uh, awarded to this AI picture oh yes yes, nobody knew that it was an ai picture so the guy went and then he did not get the he said i refuse the prize because this was done with ai anyway so it started a whole debate and um so yeah that doesn't make me want to invest a lot more time into photography i have to say because you're just seeing different but you know at the end of the day with ai you can't take a subject and have an ai produce you know, as that quote that I shared with you all on on the our private WhatsApp group about that Ian McGilchrist said, you know, an AI cannot love, an AI uh, ChatGPT mm-hmm. or Bing or whatever, whatever you create cannot be human. In fact, he turned it around and he said that it's not that the, the machines are becoming more human, it's that humans are becoming more machine-like. And yes. that's what we really do need to. And yeah. so I think the thing about photography, especially when you're photographing, it does, the, photo- the photograph represents the person with the eye. Like that's exactly what you, the point you made Made about Andrich's work. It's not mm-hmm. just what he sees. It's the 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 mm-hmm. eye, the type of seeing, the way of seeing that he's that he's bringing to the to 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 mm-hmm. whatever he's photo- photog- uh, photographing. So to me, you know, you can't eliminate the human, whether we like to or not. And yeah, I, you know, an AI can write a great romance novel. I guess if it calls everything that it can, but can it write a Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, novel? Uh, no, know, but someone rushed it. Yeah, if you're going to be making a living, yeah, you know, that's true. Okay, that's yeah. that's where the challenge is. Because that is very AI true. is much cheaper, much faster, yeah. you right. know. So yeah. it can be much faster at producing, you know, images, which, by the way, to me, look a bit freaky still. When I see AI, you can tell. And there's kind of a disembodied quality about it that just gives yeah, me a little bit of a chill. That will change. Yeah. I know that. But right yeah. now, I feel like there's no connection when I see that work. And I yeah. don't like it. Aesthetically, it doesn't. But we're still back to the issue of can you take a real person in real time? and make them to relax with any kind of AI generated. Uh, I don't know, you can. And you're still missing that human because that human is a very special thing that has appeared mm-hmm. in a moment in time with the history. And you can't yeah. reproduce that. You know? Maybe it's going to make portrait photography, uh, it's going to give it a new life. You never know. Like I am always very, I'm always on the optimistic side because you have to be, Uh, and and they can coexist. It can be helpful. For example, AI in in writing can help you research 
it collates uh, mm-hmm. information a lot quicker, although you have to be careful because some of it is not exactly right. But I mean, mm-hmm. it will help as it gets better and better. But I'm still going, you know, uh, the 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 uh, Salman Rushdie's agent was asked about, you know, does he worry? He said no, because there's no AI that can ever write what Salman Rushdie wrote. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that the kind of knowledge he was bringing together, but it's the sensibility mm-hmm. and the lived experience. It's not just, yeah. you know, but, you know, maybe we'll what- all be proved wrong. Rick Rubin says in his book yes. about art, right? He He's says, great, yeah. you know, there's a difference between art and commerce. Art yes. is something that you do only because it's meaningful to you. Right. right. You do it to please yourself. You do it right. like a like a journal entry. Right. It's right. not anybody else's business what you right. write in your journal. It's it's right. only meaningful to you. If you take the audience into consideration, then it's commerce. It's so. commerce. Right. And you're right. I mean, we can't be we can't be um, you know, Pollyannish about this. People do need to make a living. You're right. However, when I look at your work, just personally, I could see that there's a whole bunch of people beyond artists, right? That would love to have their essence create, mm-hmm. like, to, to, because you're not only you're not only filming it, you're extracting that from them. So mm-hmm. I could see you actually doing a lot of that type of work, which would be would, would transcend not just the artists, but I could see people who want their grandparents just, you know, just seen in a way that that they're seen differently, if that makes sense. Because I think, mm-hmm. honestly, what everybody wants to do is to be seen in some ways, to be recognized for who they are, not what, what they're supposed to be. I mean, that's the whole essence of James Hollis's work, telling people that you are not just what your parents thought you were, or your husband thinks you are, or your friends. There is something that is inherently Genevieve that nobody else can be. And that's what you want to portray and see other people. But it's so hard. It takes somebody else being able to make you mm-hmm. feel comfortable. So in my own selfish way, I would love to see many of those portraits. And I would watch them like I watched the hundreds mm-hmm. many times, mm-hmm. not only from the perspective of, oh, I see an insight into this person, a very quick, and it could be longer, it could be shorter, but also because I see you, your ability to do mm-hmm. that gift you have, to be able to take it out and mm-hmm. just explore it. So I'm conscious of everything, not only of the person I'm seeing, but the eye that, yeah. that saw it and how it was they put a very it together. free process and and that's maybe that's why I was so comfortable because there was yeah. no you know specific list of things yeah. that needed to be achieved and and Andrick also was really uh, good at just letting me lead the whole yeah. thing he could have very well started taking you know the lead and taking right. charge and trying yeah. to um you know uh, lead me in one way or another but he really consciously did not mm-hmm. and i think that's why i was able to um really go into places that make that are meaningful for me for example i knew i wanted some sort of wise old man just like a metaphor yeah, yeah. And and did you see how beautiful that is in the movie? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I got it. <laughs> it's so it's beautiful. beautiful. And yeah. I, I I didn't have to articulate that. I didn't yeah. have to sell that. I could just do it. And I think yeah. that's what was so, that's why it's so special. Yeah, yeah. No, you can see it. You can see it. And you do feel like there is, it is very archetypal, not only in, mm-hmm. the, in the images, but the colors. They, of course, India provides an incredible backdrop for yeah. that. But the way you integrated the music, the way that the, the, the words come at the right time, Time, there's space, there's silence, there's, you know, I looked at it many times and just thought, wow, the way this is all put together, you just get a sense of a complete universe in a very short time, you know? I, ha- so- I have to say that I had a really good editor, Annie Leclerc. She oh, works yeah. out of Montreal and she's brilliant. Right, she's And right. she took this at heart and she really wanted to do something that made sense. So yeah. she really made it hers. It was a passion project for her. Yeah. So it's, it's so interesting because editing is such an important thing and most people don't actually oh. ever give, pay attention. But that moment. That- Did you ever read the book about the art of editing? No, I, I didn't. No, no, Michael no, on that chair. 
Oh, Michael Ondaatje. No, is that is that a nonfiction book or a fiction? It's a nonfiction book. Nonfiction. Because, yep, he did. Um, so they made a movie with his book, The English Patient. Yes, of course. And yeah. he was so taken by the work of the editor that he yeah. went to spend time with him and interviewed him. And then there's this amazing book. Oh, I'm going to definitely pick it up. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, Yeah. you know, I must. I'm one of those people who I love Andachi's poetic sensibilities, but I thought it's one of the first, the few films actually that transferred so well from a novel that they almost put it together in a way that for a lot of people made it digestible. For a lot of people, found the novel very difficult, but the the film translated, and then they went back to the novel, which is such an interesting Mm -hmm. thing. They could see it with different eyes, so I'm not surprised. But yeah, no, I will definitely pick it up because one, I love his writing, but b, what a great concept. And also yeah. recognition that it was a different art form. The book was taken, transformed into something different, and he appreciated it enough because some people get very weird about their their work. It can't be touched. And that just so shows an incredible openness to yeah. the process. You know, that's that's just wonderful. Yeah, and no, I'll definitely pick it up. Well, Genevieve, I've taken a lot of your time, but it has been fabulous uh, talking to you. I wanted to nice talk, and especially- and I want everybody to watch it. I'm going to link the film. I want everybody to watch it because I think it is just just a, a beautiful beyond. I mean, I've said so much about it, so I'll just let people take it in. Um, and I hope you do more of that because I really think we need that. That's the kind of meditative uh, portrait that stops you, that that stops the mind from and just focuses you. And you're suddenly brought into a magical world, which I think in my case is often done through through words. Like I, mm-hmm. I that's what what I happens to me when I read Garcia Marquez or Rushdie or any of the number of writers who take me. So it's wonderful to see somebody take me to that space where I feel that same kind of inner connection mm-hmm. through well, some medium. I'm that honored. I'm, I'm honored yeah. I could do that for you. <laughs> well, thank you. And you'll do it for a lot of other people too, I think, once they see it. And um, and yeah. And I, I, we have to talk again. I, this is something I want to make um, I, because I think what's great about the whole group is not only how many people and perspectives we have, mm-hmm. but the depth of the perspectives. And yeah. and sometimes, you know, it would be, be wonderful just to be able to, and I'm glad we started off with you. Uh, Jay is off, obviously part of the group uh, offsite, but uh, yeah. it was nice to start it with you. So thank uh, you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bea. Thanks for listening. If you like Jay's music and would like to support the creation of more, follow the link to the GoFundMe page in the show notes. You can support my work by buying my new novel, Invocation, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through many booksellers across the world. For now, until next time. Don't